Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mindful Manager Podcast. My name is Art Burns. I'm your host here to talk about mindfulness, emotional intelligence, and the wonderful benefits that these things can bring to our lives. And not just in the workplace, as the name of this uh, podcast may suggest, but in every area of our lives. And, and it really does. It, it sort of radiates out from, from, you know, most of our time is spent at work. So, so that's why we focus mostly at the kind of things that we do at work. But it really, once you, once you settle into mindfulness and emotional emotional intelligence, it, it radiates into every area of your life, just like ripples on a lake is the way that I look, like to look at it. And, um, and the benefits are so strong and so, so wonderful. Um, you know, one of the most tangible benefits that we talk about here is stress reduction. And, um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, what I try to do here in this podcast, let me just finish my little intro, is um, I try to uh, give you practices that you can do every day. Because as a as a, uh, a teacher of mine once said, mindfulness cannot be learned; it can only be practiced. Now, I challenged him at the time, and I continue to challenge him on this because it's not entirely true, right? So, knowledge and and understanding is very very important, right? And you need to. Most of us grew up in our lives without exposure to to these principles of mindfulness and uh, and the emotional intelligence that arises from it and uh, and through our culture and through our our upbringing and our schools and the advertising that we look at every day and the sports that we play you know emotional intelligence is not something and mindfulness are not something that are are automatically cultivated in our lives and so therefore some knowledge is important and some learning is important okay but but what what my teacher did have absolutely right and I do not challenge is the fact that you know the learning is not uh, the learning alone is not sufficient right if, if and, and this I speak from experience right um, there was a time in the beginning of my journey where I I only learned I read some books and I and I understood the concepts and I was blown away by the concepts and and I I just ran with it and I was like okay I understand stay present uh, you know in the present moment pay attention non-judgmentally got it and I thought that I had it and for a few months actually I did you know people would see me and say like wow Wow, you're you're changed. You seem a little different than you used to be. You seem more relaxed. You seem more centered. You know what's going on with you. And I would talk about it, and I would I would you know try to live this this way. But you know within about six months, it all kind of went away. And the reason for that is that I wasn't practicing it. Okay, because this stuff, you know, mindfulness and emotional intelligence are skills. Okay, and just like any skill, they have to be practiced to be developed, right? Just like, you know, playing a guitar or, or, you know, everything in your life that you ever learned how to do, right? (laughs) Whether you play guitar or you don't, you know, every single thing that you learned, that you do now, you learn to do at some point, okay? Everything except breathing (laughs) and beating your heart and blinking your eyes are essentially the only things that you didn't have to learn how to do, okay? You had to learn how to walk, you had to learn how to eat. You had to learn how to drink. You had to learn how to use your fingers. You had to learn all of these things. And the only way that you learned it, it wasn't that somebody instructed you on this stuff. The only way you learned it was through practicing it. Okay. And so this is no different. And so that's why every week what I do here is I give you an actionable practice in the form of a guided meditation, which you can 
put, you know, plug and play each day of the week. And, and that's the idea is that, you know, I give it to you on Wednesday. And the idea is that you, you, you know, play it every day, um, you know, if not twice a day. Uh, and, and that practice is what's going to develop these, these, you know, aspects of mindfulness, these qualities of mindfulness and emotional intelligence in your life. And then the benefits of these are going to be enormous, okay? They're going to be stress reduction. They're going to be, um, you know, more, a better sense of well-being being in, in an emotional way, you know, uh, it, you know, the ability to handle triggers, the ability to, um, you know, to, to be open with people, the, you know, the, the rising of integrity in your life, the, the, the cultivation of happiness in your life. These are the benefits that you're going to get out of these practices. And that's why it's really important to do the practices. And so in addition to the every Wednesday that I give you a, a guided meditation that you can literally just plug and play. Okay. There's no, no prior experience necessary, no special software, no, you know, no, uh, you know, special mats or pillows or, or, you know, or chimes or gongs or bells or incense or candles or crystals or anything like that, right? Like this, this is not that, right? And, and so all you have to do is listen to the meditations and follow the instructions, okay? And, um, and if you do that, and, and then every other day of the week, right, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I give you these, you know, sort of more informational episodes. And, and within these informational episodes, what I try to do is I try to weave into them, uh, you know, informal practices, right? Ways, basically ways in which you can approach your life, okay, which which will supplement and complement the the formal meditations that you're doing every day. Because the thing is that, you know, the, that most of us don't have more than in like 10, maybe 20 minutes a day to devote to formal practice, right? Because we're busy, you know, we have, we have uh, day jobs, we have families, we have friends, we have, you know, uh, hobbies and, and sports teams and all kinds of stuff, right? What, what John Kabat-Zinn calls the full catastrophe, right? And this, and this is our life, right? And we don't want to give up those things and nor should we, right? So the idea is if you spend a little bit of time doing the formal meditation every day, but then you spend a lot of time just changing the ways that you do some of these other things so that they complement the work that you do in your um, in your formal meditation, that's when the magic happens, okay? And that's when we can really, you know, maximize the effect of the, you know, the formal meditation because we're kind of always in a meditative place in a certain way, right? And so, and so yeah, so that's what we do here. And so, and so today I want to take a, another step further on the, um, uh, excuse me, my, my voice is still a little scratchy from a, a two and a half hour uh, presentation I gave on Sunday night on stress reduction. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about stress in the last couple of weeks. Um, I've been talking about it a lot, you know, partially because I just gave this big presentation to, you know, I had over 40, almost 50 people in this uh, presentation. It was absolutely amazing. It was like, you know, it was like a high and, um, and, uh, you know, and now I'm just, I'm just kind of spent from it. But, uh, but anyway, life goes on, right. And we must keep, uh, we must keep pushing forward. Um, and you know, to, to, to live the life that we want, right. It's not, I'm not doing this because of some sort of, um, you know, uh, 
adherence to a uh, uh, a work ethic just for the sake of the work ethic, but but you people are important to me, and it's important to me to keep you know keep doing this podcast because you know because these are really important things that we're talking about here. So so that's why scratchy throat and all, I'm not taking a day off. I'm gonna press on, and I'm going to keep doing my podcast. So um, but I want to keep going on this um, this the uh, the the topic of stress reduction. Okay, because again, this is one of the most important things in in our lives, right? Because, you know, as I just mentioned, you know, when I'm talking about the practices, you know, John Kabat-Zinn calls it the full catastrophe, right? It's, and his his big book, the, 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 you know, what, what people in meditation uh, and mindfulness uh, circles call the John Kabat-Zinn Bible uh, is called the full catastrophe living, right? And it's um, the, the, the title full catastrophe is taken from Zorba the Greek, right? And, and Zorba was asked by another character in the book, are you married? And Zorba says, am I married? Of course I'm married. Am I not a man? I have a wife. I have children. I have a house. I have, you know, a job. I have the full catastrophe. And, and so the idea is that, you know, that's what our life is, right? It's, it's all those things that, you know, some of them are very enjoyable. Some of them are indispensably enjoyable, but others are, you know, chores and, and, responsibilities that that make the the indispensable things possible right like we we go to work so that we can support ourselves and our families or or you know or or we we go to work so we can fund our travel or or you know whatever that that balance is for you you know this is the full catastrophe of life right this is the full you know Everything that we do to live in our life is in one way or another, you know, contributing to the, the sort of, you know, this full catastrophe. And the full catastrophe is, can be looked at as, you know, really the source of our stress, right? And, and so, and again, some of the things are good, which are not so stressful, or, or they give us the good stress of, of eustress, right? But, but most of it, you know, if not sometimes all of it, you know, because even sometimes the things we love can cause us distress, right? And, and so and so the idea is you know with mindfulness and emotional intelligence and and these daily practices that we do what we're doing is we're building up a resilience to this this full catastrophe in our lives right to all these different stressors because as i told my group the other night on sunday is that you know the the full catastrophe all these stressors in our lives they we don't have any control over them right <laughs> like like i mean of course we could decide to live as a hermit in a ca- at a cave somewhere but but really you know beyond that we we relinquish control over over the stressors in our lives right like like you know you wake up in the morning you have no idea what's going to come at you right but but what we do have control over is how we react to those stressors and that is the stress in our lives right and and by reducing that through the practices of mindfulness and through the cultivation of emotional intelligence because remember emotions live in your body right and stress is a very physiological uh, thing that happens right so so emotions and stress are are very very much inextricably attached to one another all right and so and so the idea here is that you know over the last few weeks uh, the last two weeks or so I've been talking about um, about stress reduction and mindfulness because again as we're doing these daily practices and as we're 
as we're approaching everything with mindfulness, which is to say, paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. If we have the idea in our heads that we're doing so to reduce stress, then we'll constantly remind ourselves that this is, you know, we'll look for opportunities in which this works to reduce stress in our lives. And we'll look for the results of the reduction of this stress in our lives. And, and through that process, you know, we will, you know, we will achieve stress reduction, right? And so, and so today I just kind of wanted to bring this whole concept back home to another concept that we've talked about uh, quite a bit here, which is compassion, okay? Um, now, mindfulness and, uh, you know, there, there's a doctor that I study with whose name is Dan Siegel. He's an author, a doctor, a wonderful man, a brilliant man. And um, he, he calls, he, he works with this thing that he calls mind sight, which is, um, essentially mindfulness by another name you know it's it's essentially the same sort of thing but but dan approaches it more of a you know on a very scientific level and um and 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 so it's a little different but but the similarities are very very you know very very strong and um and so so mindsight and and the and the practices of mindfulness right they they all revolve around three different types of practice right and that is open attention uh, I'm sorry, focus attention, open awareness, and kind intention, right? Which is otherwise known as loving kindness in the in the world of, of mindfulness and Buddhism and all that, right? So um, so what we do when we're practicing, right? We practice focused attention when we, when we you know, everything from like a, um, a, a sort of transcendental meditation works this way, like where you kind of focus on a, a phrase and you repeat that phrase over and over again, like a mantra, right? Like that mantra kind of, uh, you know, meditation. Um, but but in, in the work that you and I, we have all talked about here, it's it's when we focus our attention on our breath, right? And so, and so by, by by focusing our attention on the rising and falling of our abdomen as we're breathing, that's focused attention. That's focused attention practice, right? And then when we're focusing on you know the sensations of our body, right, which are always changing and are never fixed and are are you know and are are you know different from from one part of our body to the next, you know, that's more of an open awareness kind of meditation, right? And so, and that would be like the body scan, right? And, um, and then there's the uh, the circuit training meditation, which I've gone over with you, which is where you switch back and forth between just allowing your mind to be completely open and just taking in all of your senses, all of your, you know, thoughts and, and you know, all of your external senses and just letting it flow. And then you switch to, to focusing on your, your breathing for a few minutes, right? And then you switch back and you switch back and you switch back. And, and, that's, uh, and that's another form of practicing focused attention and open awareness, right? And that third branch of the practice is really, really important. And this is the thing where sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect, right? Like, like you might be thinking, okay, so what does loving kindness practice have anything to do with stress reduction? Like it doesn't match up, right? But it does. Okay. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And, 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 and for that reason, I'm going to ask you to, you know, make sure that you are revisiting the, um, the, the formal practice of loving kindness, but especially really, really, really helpful is the informal practice of loving kindness. And I'm going to go over that again in a few minutes so that, you know, make sure that everybody really understands it. Um, so how does compassion tie into our stress, right? So, um, if you remember, 
remember, you know, there, I talked about it yesterday that Dr. Lazarus, I don't have the, the book in front of me right now, so I can't read you the exact quote, but there's a, a, a doctor named Dr. Richard Lazarus uh, of UC Berkeley. And, um, and he talks about, he defines stress as, um, you know, as, as something that is going to be a threat to one's, or, or perceived as a threat to one's well-being. Okay. So, um, now what he's talking about there, right. And, and you can go back and listen to yesterday's podcast for the exact quote and, and, um, and, and Richard Seeley, who's a, an old time doctor from the fifties and sixties, um, and seventies, I guess he, he talked, he defined stress and he's like one of the, you know, absolute authorities on stress. Um, you know, he defines stress in the very similar ways that it's, it's the reaction of our body to an external, uh, condition, right. Or, and, and, and what that, you know, and so what they're both saying, right, is that, or what they're both referring to is this, you know, sort of fight or flight, um, you know, response that our body has, right? Like, like when we experience a stressor, right? Like whether it's, you know, and, and this is something that we perceive as a danger to our well-being, right? We have two choices of that. Uh, when, when we do, we have two choices, you know, in how to handle this stressor, right? We can either run from it or we can fight it right? And that's the fight or flight, right? Or, or we learn to deal with it, right? Or we just learn to accept it somehow, right? Like just coexist with it, right? Like those are the only choices that we have, right? And so, um, and obviously if we're, if we're choosing to coexist with it, then we don't perceive it as a threat, right? So, so therefore it's not really part of the stress response, right? But, but the, the, the fight or flight response is all started by that little thing in your brain called the amygdala, okay? It's this little cluster of neurons that's about the size and shape of an almond, and it, um, and it is, is the century of your brain. It is constantly on the lookout of every single sense that you have, right? Everything you see, everything you hear, everything you smell, everything you taste, everything you touch, and your sixth sense of everything that you think and your, your sort of instinctual, uh, you know, your gut feeling, your, you know, whatever it is that you're thinking, right? These things, these six things, the, 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 you know, every single thing that comes in through these six avenues, you know, into your brain, your amygdala is constantly monitoring to, to, to determine one thing and one thing only. Is it a threat to our well-being or not? Okay. And when it is a threat to our well-being, our amygdala wants to throw that, throw our whole body into the stress response, right? So that we are prepared to either flee or fight off this thing that is a threat to our existence, right? And so, and so how, you know, so now getting back into compassion, right? You know, it's like, Every, you know, if we're, if we're constantly thinking or, or subconsciously thinking, right, if, if, we're, if we're constantly letting our amygdala do the thinking for us of every single person we meet, right, and, and we think that, that every single person that we meet can, can either pose a threat to us or not, right then then every time that we meet someone we have the potential of of inst- you know I- you know instigating this this stress response right so so in other words if if you know if if you're constantly thinking about you know or or constantly not thinking about the the yeah let me put it that way let me not because sometimes i talk about this stuff and i make us all seem like just raving you know like people who just have no sense of 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 reality and that's not really true um you know it's it's often not as bad as as i make 
make it sound is what I'm trying to say. But, but let me put it in a positive sense. If we are always thinking of someone and, and every time that we meet someone and every time we think of someone and every time we, we experience someone on any level, if we're thinking about their well-being, right, and we're thinking about how we want them to be well, then it becomes impossible for us to see them as a threat to our well-being. Okay, and therefore, it is impossible for any single person, whether it's somebody on TV or it's somebody we meet in a grocery store or it's somebody at work or it's somebody in our family or anyone in the world, it is impossible for that person to to trigger the stress response in our brains and in our bodies, right? And, and, you know, and in very subtle ways, this happens a lot. If we, if we have the absence of this, you know, kind intention towards others, and we have this, this absence of a, of a sense of connection to these other people in the world, right? Then, then in little ways, we are going to always be triggering this stress response in our, in our bodies, right? Because, you know, when we look at someone and we see a potential conflict, right? That, you know, even it's a very, very subtle and subconscious thing, it's going to release some cortisol into our body and our, and our heart rate is going to increase and our blood pressure is going to rise and our, our, you know, our, you know, systems in our brain are going to start shutting down because they're not necessary to the, to the survival via flight or fight in, you know, you know, the survival of our lives. Right. And so, and so, you know, while, while most of the the experiences that we have that are stressors, right, are, are not necessarily necessarily driven by by how we see another person right it's more like you know like um you know whether it's something that happens at work you know people are often involved but but it's 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 often the the actual event that causes us the stress right we don't usually think of it as as part of another person's you know interaction with us right and so by practicing compassion right practicing loving kindness and kind intention towards others what we do is we we eliminate that that little subtle area of stress you know the stressor of other people Okay, it, it becomes just gone. It's it's just not even in play anymore. And I can tell you from experience that this is true. Okay, um, I've told this story a few times, and I don't mean to bore you with it, but I've actually told several several versions of stories where you know I was riding down, uh, you know, because it's happened to me many times over the last couple of years now. Um, I was riding down the street here in Denver one day, and I was totally in the right. I was not in anybody's way. I was, you know, I was definitely not like the, you know, you know, in the in the safest place because I'm a former New York City bike messenger and I like to, you know, I like to ride out in traffic and stuff. But, but the way I was riding, I was right on a line. There were two lanes that were turning to the right and, the, and, and cars had plenty of room to get around me. Okay. And I was going straight. So I was in a place where I felt safe and I know that I've done this a hundred times before, a thousand times before even, and, uh, and I've never been in danger. So, so I knew that I was in a place that was okay, but yet this car came up behind me and started honking his horn at me, like really aggressive. And, um, and so, you know, normally, you know, five years ago or so, (laughs) I would have turned around, would have flipped the bird. I would have, you know, threatened to, you know, would have tried to somehow get to pull over with this person and get into some sort of, you know, possibly even a physical altercation. But what happened is because I've been practicing, you know, loving kindness and kind intention towards others for, for a year or two, three years before that, I, I, 
I just instinctively, and, and people, when I tell you instinctively, I mean, I shocked myself with this, right? Like it wasn't something where I had to remind myself like, oh, keep it cool, Art, you know, practice loving kindness. It wasn't anything like that. It was instinctive. It was, it was my natural reaction was to, was to just, you know, first of all, not even turn around because I knew that that would only, you know, I knew instinctively that that would only, you know, upset this person more. It wasn't about being safe. It wasn't about, you know, you know, trying to quell the, the conflict. It was that I didn't want to, you know, aggravate this person anymore because he was already very aggravated. I'm assuming it was a guy, (laughs) um, but it might not have been, I don't know. Um, and, and, uh, and so, and so the the thing is that it was completely instinctive. It was it was my natural reaction was to say this person must be in such pain and 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 there must be something so hurtful in this person's life and that's why they're, you know, doing this to me, right? And 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 that's what I'm trying to get to folks because normally, you know, and and, and by by thinking that way, right? I took away the sense that this person was a threat to me. Okay, like like I knew that all it was was anger. I knew that it was just aggression, right? Because if if he or she was going to hit me, they would have done it already, right? And so and so I knew that I was not in danger, and I knew that that there was no emotional danger either because I was not going to be in this conflict with this person. I felt love and kindness towards this person, right? And so so I, I hope this is all making sense to you all. And, and if it's not, you know, I'm gonna give you a way to get in touch with me to ask questions because uh, but the thing that I want you to understand is how important this aspect of, of the stress response can be and, and how prevalent it can be because, you know, because, and again, often we don't think of this in terms of, you know, we don't think of the stress response in terms of how we see another person, right? But, but it is very, very much involved because again, you know, because if we're seeing this person as someone for whom we feel compassion, we feel caring, we want them to feel better, right? Then it's almost impossible possible for us to feel that they are a threat to us at least under the you know 99% of the time right like like yeah sure if somebody holds us up with a gun that's a different story right but even then even then you can practice loving kindness and i have plenty of stories uh that can back this up that people have used loving kindness uh to get out of things in fact jack cornfield i'm going to just tell a quick story before i tell you this the uh practice here um jack cornfield tells a story about uh, uh someone who he knows who was robbed one time at gunpoint in New York City in the you know 80s when New York City was a really dangerous place and um and the guy who was holding the gun on him and he was shaky he was obviously on drugs and it was like you know very very scary and and the guy you know gave him his wallet and he and he looked in the wallet he's like he's like I need more I need more so he gave him his watch and it just kept going and he just kept giving him everything he had and the guy was still like like he he felt as though like he was like you know the the guy felt as though the the robber was going to shoot him anyway you know and and so what he did was he said he said hey look you know you did really good today you know you you did really good here and the guy said I did good and the guy says yeah man you got so much from me you did so good you should go tell your friends how good you did here and the guy looks and he's like he's like yeah yeah I should and then he ran away with a gun right so so like even under the most violent circumstances you know the 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 act of kindness towards another person can 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 help even at that point okay so with all that said I want to give you once again a fantastic 
informal practice. Now, there's there's formal practices that you have of loving kindness. They're they're in the library that I've sent to you um, week by week. And if you and if you want anything specific on this, send me an email and I'll send you the specific uh, meditation so you don't have to search. But there's a fantastic uh, informal meditation you can do, and I really credit this practice that I'm about to give you with what changed everything for me with these drivers and with all these different people who normally would would set off the stress response and and get me into real you know not just emotional problems but oftentimes physical danger right and um, and so it's it's called the informal loving kindness meditation or informal loving kindness practice okay and it's and it's super simple but it requires a little bit of dedication okay but once you start doing it after a couple of weeks it becomes automatic and it becomes just a natural inclination of your mind okay and and this deals with the neuroplasticity of your brain so so just keep doing this every day and you are going to become naturally inclined to to acting this way towards other people and you're going to wind up reducing your stress that that in the in the process okay so what i want you to do is set a timer or a reminder on your phone okay on the apple phones uh there's this uh, app that comes loaded that says reminders okay you, you go in there and you can set it to go off every hour and just say, you know, say loving kindness, say compassion, say kindness, say, say, you know, be nice, whatever works for you. Right. But, but it'll, it'll buzz your phone and, and on the screen will flash up whatever word you're going to, you know, whatever cue word you're going to choose for it. Okay. Mine is loving kindness. And so when, and I want you to set it to go off every hour. Okay. And, and just every hour during your work day. So basically eight hours a day or eight, eight times a day or so. Okay. Um, Every time that it goes off, you're going to do something extremely simple, okay? And and it's so, it's so simple, you're probably going to sit there and tell me, like, there's no way this is going to work. But I promise you, if you try it for two weeks, you're going to see an amazing difference. And you'll see the difference before two weeks. But if you do it for two weeks, I can guarantee you, you're going to be coming back and saying, wow, you were right, Art. Um, so every time it goes off, what I want you to do is spend just 10 seconds, okay, only 10 seconds, looking around, just stop what you're doing for 10 seconds and look around you and anyone who you can see in your line of sight, okay, you don't have to make eye contact, they don't know that you're doing this, you can be looking at the backs of their heads at Starbucks for all I know, right, it'll still work, okay, and and if you're working alone, if you're alone when this happens, when, when the buzzer goes off, just close your eyes and, and picture people in your life, right, but but it definitely works better if you're in public, you know, at least part of the time and, uh, and seeing actual people okay and what you're going to do is you're going to look at everybody you can see for 10 seconds and you're just going to one by one in your head silently say i wish you well i wish you well i wish you well for 10 seconds okay and and do that eight times a day okay that's 80 seconds a day monday through friday you're talking about what is that 400 seconds which is uh you know like less than five minutes a week right and so um if i even have that math right but it's it's just a couple of minutes a week okay so so this is not going to take a lot of time and and the the benefits that you're going to get out of this are so enormous and i promise you it will contribute greatly to the process of reducing your stress and increasing your emotional intelligence okay because emotional intelligence as you know is is tied in very deeply with empathy okay and, and by wishing people well, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're tapping into that possibility of empathy and, and you're also, you know, of course, 
you know, you're expressing compassion and you're also then building a connection. And, and these three things, okay, are going to build emotional intelligence. They're going to build better integration of your brain and, and which is going to give you a sense of well-being and also contribute to uh, stress reduction. But, but directly, it's going to reduce your stress because you're going to come to see other people as not threatening to your well-being. All right. So um, if you have any questions at all about any of what I've covered, you know, please, I invite you to get in touch with me. OK, I've uh, I've hooked up my uh, my Calendly thing is really cool. So so if you go on to um, on to the uh, my website, artburnscoaching.com, there's a big button there that says um, virtual cup of tea. Uh, click to schedule. If you click that, you're going to get into my calendar program. Right. I've built in a couple of cool questions that, uh, that you get to answer. And uh uh, and we can book a time that we're going to just be able to to sit and and talk to each other, okay? Just like having a cup of tea, okay? There's no there's no commitment, there is no obligation, there's no cost involved, there's nothing, okay? It's just two people sitting down for a conversation. And if you have any questions about any of what we've talked about, that is a great way for for me to answer them, okay? Um, the other way that you can get in touch with me on any of this, ask any questions you have, is simply to send me an email at art at artburnscoaching. Dot com, okay, if you just send me an email, <clears throat> I promise I answer every single email that comes into that mailbox. All right, so uh, thank you for your time today. I know this one was a little long, and uh, I appreciate you listening. And uh, and I want you to know, folks, that I wish you well. Okay, I really do. Uh, I hope you have a great day, and I'll be back again tomorrow with Practice Wednesday. Everybody, I look forward to it, and I hope you do too. Have a great day. I'll talk to you later. Bye bye. <laughs>